Good morning, Grace Bible. Good morning. My name is Zach Martin. I'm an elder here at Grace Bible. Let me start my timer so I don't go over. Would you believe that back in 1994, a long time ago for some of you, some of you weren't even born, I was a freshman in high school. Uh, going into my sophomore year from the spring, I got moved up to play varsity football. And so you talk about intimidating, uh, going in with these upperclassmen, these bigger, stronger guys with, than you. And one of those guys happened to be a senior, Ryan Fenerud, and he used to beat me up every day. <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. Uh, had to give Ryan a hard time. Uh, so grateful. He didn't even hear it. So grateful. <laughs> I was talking about how you used to beat me up in football growing up. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm so grateful for these guys. Week in and week out, this praise team, this worship team, brings us to this moment of getting into the Lord's Word. And it's, it's hard. That's a hard job. I watched them this morning prepare Brad and me back in the booth, getting everything ready for us. And very humbling. So thank you so much. But we're not here to talk about that today. Today we are in the second part of our six-week study of Titus. And it's going to be this idea you've seen in your bullets in the last couple of weeks, this idea of being entrusted. So last week, Keith did a great job talking about to what we are trusted with, the gospel message, and to whom we're entrusted from, and to whom we're entrusted to. This week we're going to specifically look at leadership what Paul has for Titus in reference to what leaders should look like in the church body. And then the next couple of weeks, we're going to have what the household we're entrusted to, humanity, what humanity we're entrusted to. And then the last week, uh, Brent Bullard, our, our new pastor, will finish up with the works we're entrusted to. You, you see today, specifically in the scripture that we're going to be look, reading from, verse 5, I mean chapter 1, verses 5 through 16 of Titus, we're going to see that Paul prescriptively is going to tell Titus what leadership is to be in the church body. You see, none of this would have been new to Titus. He had come under Paul's ministry in Corinth. He had worked alongside him for quite some time. And so this is an encouraging letter. This, is not a, this wouldn't have been a new letter to, to say, you know, for Titus to go, oh, wow, this is a lot of hard work. No, he knew going into what he was getting into. You're going to have to bear with me, guys. Uh, football was a big part of my life for a long time. To this day, I don't watch football. I don't keep up with really football. I leave that up to my father-in-law and my dad and my brother. Um, but you see, this idea of when you look at the whole book of Titus, not specifically just the verses we're looking at today, but as a whole, it reminds me of a game plan. And you see, I, I got the chance to play as a freshman. You remember, Ryan used to beat me up every day in practice. But then I got to go on and play in college. And then for a brief stint, when I was finishing up uh, college, I got to be a student assistant, got to coach football. And so you've got this idea of a game plan that's coming to my mind. And you have an opponent, right? That You have to know their strengths and weaknesses. You have to know what you're up against. Well, then you've got to look at your team. What, what you have as far as a team is concerned. And you've got to have them mentally prepared. You've got to have them physically prepared. But say on this team, say Judd Chapel is our head coach. 
and he's got this football team that has this amazing talent, and he's got the best players in the district, the nation, and they've got the best talent. They're the biggest, fastest, strongest, strongest players you've ever seen. But say these same players that Judd has, say they have no discipline, say they have no character. What's going to happen to Judd? Well, immediately, in, um, you're going to see it off the field. They're going to get in trouble, right? They're going to have problems. They're going to get in trouble with the law, probably. They're not going to pass. They're not going to get through school. And then on the field, it doesn't get any better. They're going to, get, they're going to be undisciplined. They're going to get penalties. And for the, for the fact of that, in the fourth quarter, if you're down by 24, is it going to get any better? No, they're going to lay down. You see today, Paul is going to specifically, he's not going to address talent or giftings in the scripture that we're going to read. We're going to look at the makeup of who people are as leaders. Kind of like when your grandparents or your dad or your mom <clears throat> would say, uh, you are who you are when no one's looking. I think you've all probably heard that. Looking for that type of character, not just to look good not just to have character that everybody would think you're perfect, but a true self. I think if you were to approach um, any number of coaches, we've got two coaches in here today. I wish the Scroggins were here. They're two coaches that are a part of our church. But Kevin Aaron's here, and my dad, uh, Mike Martin's here, uh, who coached collegiately for years. And I think they'd be the first to tell you if you approach them, they would say, talent is not what carries you. Yes, it is important to have that talent. But if you don't have character in this game plan for your team, you get into the playoffs, you get into a scenario where you're playing against the team with your same talent, you don't have character, you're not going to win. You have to have leaders who are on your team to have good character and true self to face adversity. And that's specifically what we're going to be looking at today. As we're going to read through Titus, hopefully, yeah, we're going to put it up here. Um, this is going to look a little bit differently than the Pewback Bible that you have. This is the NIV. This is the translation that my in-laws uh, gave me a study Bible uh, years ago. And I love it. I love the translation as it reads. But as we read through that, don't get caught up in it. It's just going to look a little bit different in wording. Uh, but as we read through it, I'm going to stop a little bit, uh, and we'll talk a little bit as we go forward. But specifically, I, I'm a firm believer in that we need to realize what we're going to be talking about. We're going to say what we're going to talk about. And then at the end, I'm going to remind you what we talked about. And so as we look at this, as we look specifically at Titus 1, verses 5 through 16, the first part we're going to look at and break apart is going to be 5 through 9. And as it reads, we're going to see that something is broken. And it needs in repair. And then we're going to see what leadership should not look like. Then we're going to read and see what leadership should look like. And then we'll move on from there. But you can read with me together up front on the border in your Bible. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put or set into order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. Let's stop right there. Some of your versions um, say put into order. Some of your versions say set into order. Set is a medical term, correct? If we think about if I've got a broken arm and I've got to go see Andrew Hurst, he's not even here today, he's on vacation, but... Say it's broken, what does he have to do? He has to reset it, right? Now, if I have a broken arm and it sets incorrectly, I can still use it, but can I use it to its full potential? No. It's broken. We, 
we see something is broken here. Titus is, uh, Paul is making that clear to Titus. And as we look at what's broken, the island of Crete, like Keith said last weekend, is a pirating island. You've got a lot of traffic in and out of this island, and the people on Crete are out to take advantage. Most of the population there is to take advantage of these people coming in and out of this island. Not to mention, if you remember your mythology history, they worship the god who is said to be Zeus, who was born on that island. And he was a god that was reverenced for lying and stealing and manipulating to get what he wants. So you've got that that's broken in their society. They're worshiping a false god. Not only that, do you have Judaizers who are coming in and preaching false doctrine on this island. So you've got a really broken place. We're going to continue talking about that at the end, but it's important to note why he's there, why they're setting up camp here. Let's keep reading. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Is this Zach's household? Is it your household? No, it's the Lord's household. And because of that, a leader is not to be overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given into drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, it's like so many times in Scripture we see a transition word, rather, but, therefore. We're going to see something in contrast here. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that he can be encouraged by others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. One thing to recognize as we read through this first part is very black and white, correct? Something's broken. What we are not to be is leadership and what we are to be is leadership. Paul knew Titus was the man for the job. But one thing that we have to know in leadership is it can't be done alone. He didn't say go make a leader in towns. He didn't say, Titus, you go do this yourself. He's going to get worn out, right? He's going to be tired. You can't do it yourself. That is why I'm so grateful for Grace Bible, our church, and that the leadership is a plurality. We have seven elders. If you just had me as your elder, your sole elder, we'd be in a world of hurt, guys. <laughs> You talk about scary, confusing, because at any moment in my walk, there are these things, these outside things that are calling me back to that I've chosen in my life that if you knew about, ooh, be scary. I'm so grateful that we have that accountability of leadership, of a plurality of leadership. You see, in this last year, I've had the opportunity to be on the elder board. been very humbling. But we've had this opportunity to implement something where quarterly um, we rotate and we have an accountability partner on the elder board. And it's a time, yeah, you can just sit down and talk and have breakfast and get to know each other better outside the walls of this room and then outside the walls of the elder room. But it's a time that we get to just see how you are. Time to get to know each other, pray for each other, pray for about our wives or our kids or whatever's coming up. But it's also a time where, say, Jonathan Mitchell, who you just saw up here, can look at me and say, Zach, is there anything trying to kill you? Because you see, when you come into leadership, 
you're not immune to temptation. And you're sure not immune to thinking, I mean, you're sure not perfect. That's what I'm trying to say. You're not perfect. You're not immune to temptation and you're sure not perfect. The purpose of finding leaders with these characteristics is if you don't have the baseline of that character, simply on the island of Crete or in Nacogdoches, you're going to fall into whatever lifestyle is already there, correct? Again, just like mom and dad used to tell you, you are who you are when no one's looking. So we've seen what's broken, what leadership should and shouldn't be. As we transition to this next part, we're going to see what Titus was up against on the island of Crete. We get to see what false doctrine is there, what false worship was. And then we're going to have to look at this idea of what we're called to protect as leadership. There's a reason I'm not going to put a picture, see if I can get through talking about it, of my daughter up here, like Keith Hubbard does. <laughs> so many times you've seen him up here paste a picture of his family. Because if I did that, there would be crying, which there would be no recovery. And I made a $20 bet with my wife that I wouldn't cry. And so I get to point at her after this, and I get to say, you owe me 20 bucks. But as we transition to this next part of what they're up against on the island of Crete, I'm reminded of and, and what leadership is supposed to protect. I'm reminded of when my wife uh, delivered our, our daughter uh, over five years ago. And I remember my wife and I both work, and so we had to find a nanny. And so we went through a, an ado uh, adoption process. Excuse me. We didn't adopt we went through an interview process of trying to find a good nanny, and in walks this little girl named Katie Sue Pan. Uh, today she's Katie Mullen. She's married since then, has a, a really great husband. They have a baby girl of their own. But you see, Katie, she had graduated from SFA with undergraduate and early childhood learning. So she knew all the latest, greatest techniques to mold our daughter into uh, everything that she would need to know to be the smartest young little kid you've ever seen. And as I remember, I'm pretty sure my wife and I Googled a bunch of questions to ask a nanny. And so we went through this process, but halfway through, she told me about all of the things she has done and accolades she had had. And I said, those are all great, but I got to know one, th I got to know two things. I got to know that you're going to protect my daughter. I got to know you're going to love her. 20 bucks. Uh -huh. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, <laughs> we were trying to let Katie know we had something very important. We needed her to protect and lead because there's an outside world that's trying to hurt it. Let's go ahead and read this second part together. For there are many rebellious people. Because we have the good leadership set in place, here's the reason why. There are many rebellious people, Titus says. Paul says, excuse me. They're full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced. 
because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And for, that th- and for the sake of dishonest gain, one of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Paul says, this is true, Titus. <laughs> one of their own saying this. We need to be here. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so they'll be sound in faith. And we'll pay no attention to Jewish myths or merely human commands for those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing's pure. In fact, both their minds and consciousnesses are corrupted. They claim to know God by their actions, and they deny him. But by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit to do anything good. You see, Paul is is referencing the circumcision group as the Judaizers, correct? This would have been the same group that Paul warned Timothy about in 1 Timothy. These were the teachers that they were teaching to be accepted by God. You had to obtain a certain hidden knowledge. You had to worship angels. It's pretty sick. These teachers were motivated by their own interests, not Christ. Paul reminds Titus that not only do these false teachers, they go from home to home preaching this to these confused people who are already worshiping a false god, but they're essentially, they're essentially preaching what Paul rejected as Saul. And that is by putting God in a box, by saying, oh, wow, you've heard the good news, but here, have you done this yet? Have you been circumcised yet? Have you prayed enough? Have you given enough? Have you gone to temple enough? So if you combine the false teachers with what only one of their own could describe, he says, liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. We truly have something up against. We are up against something outside these walls, outside God's will. There are people out there that are floundering, that are hearing false doctrine, that are merely just saying, you know what, this is the way I am, this is the way our society is, this is the way my culture is, just like on Crete they were doing. But then we also have people out there who are trying to intentionally tell them the wrong thing. You know, as we look at this idea of protecting as leadership, I look at my own life, and I've seen how passive I have been in wanting to step into leadership. It's almost been that thought of, you know what, that guy, he's way more holy than I am, and he knows the word better than I do. He's a lot better at it than I am. I'm just going to let him handle it. I'll let him take care of it. So many years ago from this stage, Justin Beatles, who was a pastor here, he took the opportunity to challenge us as men one time. I think some of you might even remember this. I can't remember the exact context, but it was having to do with men in leading your wives and the motive behind that? Do we get real excited about leading our wives? That's what he was trying to say. And protecting our wives? Well, he used the example of, say somebody breaks into your home as a man. Well, the first thing I do, do I walk in and I say, and do you know what time it is? It's pretty late. Just go ahead and take some dishes, get out. Quite the opposite, if somebody breaks into my home, 
and tries to steal or hurt my family. I said, get on your face. I'm calling the cops. There's a little bit more motive, isn't there? But I think we have to, no, I don't think, I know we have to take that same motive in knowing the Lord's word and protecting it, knowing what it says, recognizing it, being willing to step up. Does that mean that if I run into a non-believer, I grab them by the beard and slap their face? No. But how cool do we think it is to be that part of a man? Oh, I can protect my own. Somebody comes in, I like to think I could take on three guys if somebody were to try to hurt my family. See, I have been so passive with that in my own life of not getting to know his word myself and looking at my character and drawing that out. Guys, as leaders, we are to protect the word of the gospel message, no matter if it's on Crete or in Nacogdoches County. We're to silence those who preach the word any other way than it's supposed to be taught. The island of Crete was full of liars and with no leadership in sight. I'm going to go back to a little bit about what Keith talked about last week, and it's the first part of the letter to Titus, and it's very encouraging. And I think we as leaders need to go back to this and look at why we need to follow the Lord's character and what we have to protect. It says in verse 2, if you go to chapter 1, the very beginning part, Paul reminds Titus, we have the faith and knowledge resting in the hope of eternal life, which God does not lie, promised. So an island full of people that lie and worship a God that lies and are being told lies sounds a little bit Familiar, doesn't it? To the society, a little bit of what we live in today. But we have the hope of the message of a God who does not lie. I'm going to ask the servers to come forward. And Ryan, as we begin to prepare to take forward to the Lord's Supper, y'all can take a seat up here in the front. Today we get to reflect on that message. We get to reflect on who our true leader is. You see, our true father is so important to know. He's not a myth. He had a body, he had skin, he had blood running through his veins. Today we get to remember and reflect on that together as a family, a church body. He was the reason, he is the reason that we need true leadership and be willing to know his word and stand up for it. And that is our challenge today. To reflect on our character through this time, but also reflect on the true message of what Christ and who he is. So let's go ahead and pray. And we'll take her in the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for ultimately your game plan. 
that you have given us, Father. And it's very prescriptive, not suggestive. I pray that we follow your will, Lord. I pray that Grace Bible is a church that has leadership that follows your will. I'm so grateful. And my prayer is that we put your will first, not our own. And that we remember that we are protecting your household, not our own. And as we humbly come before you and take part in your supper, Lord, we thank and give thanks for your work on the cross. We thank you for your gospel message. In your holy name we pray. Amen.